Now I'm going to do something tonight I really did, I, I probably didn't exactly mean to do, but I'm going to do it before I get too far uh, and finish Elisha, because we're right on the heels of the fact that Elijah had been raptured and Elisha has taken over. So I want you to turn in your Bible tonight to the book of Malachi, chapter number four. Luke of Malachi, chapter number four, and then hold your finger there and go to Matthew, chapter 17, okay? Do you have that? Matthew, Malachi, chapter number four, and then we're going to Matthew, chapter 17. I want to do this because I feel that we, um, we get Elijah and Elisha mixed up most of the time, don't we? And there's a reason for that because the way the King James Version was translated and put together, when you see one, sometimes you associate it with the other because they're of the spelling of the word in the KJV. And so a lot of times one gets confused with the other. And this passage right here has been a real problem. Since we're studying Elijah and Elisha, and we're going to be studying through Christmas. I'm going to uh, be talking about um, the, the Christmas uh, being revealed in the book of the Revelation. Christmas being revealed in the book of the Revelation or the revealing of Christmas. And that's what we're going to talk about. And so since that's mixed in, and by the way, I, I didn't finish this morning, okay? I'm going to go back to the books. I only talked to you about the book. I'm going back to the books and explain what those are. And again, I hope none of you have to sit under that judgment. Malachi chapter 4. Do you have it? That's the last book in the Old Testament. It's easy. Matthew's the first one in the New. Real easy. Right together. Okay? Malachi chapter 4 verse 5. I want to ask you something. When I read this, has any of you ever been a bit confused by this verse? see hands. I have. I'm raising mine. Well, y'all are such scholars. <laughs> Verse 5. Since y'all know it, I just would just say amen, go home, hey. <laughs> Look at verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now we've left the curse of the she-bears to maul 42 wild, disrespectful, rude young people. Here we see a passage that deals with respect. So we've gone from rebellion to respect of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Matthew 17, verse number 1, we was right under where I believe this place, uh, this took place uh, just a few weeks ago. I believe the Mount of Transfiguration was on Mount Hermon, not Mount Tabor. Most 
many at most believe it was in Mount Tabor. In fact, the Catholic Church has built a church up there to commemorate the uh, transfiguration since they were all there when it happened. So I just don't think it was. I believe since he preached in Matthew 16 about what the church is, it seems a lot more likely since Tell Dan or, or Dan they had a different name during the day, but he was in the city of Dan teaching about the church. It seems very likely to me that Mount Hermon was closer and that would be where he would go. And Mount Hermon would be snow-capped and that would be another reason he would go there to show that his glory outshines the brightest of snow. But you, you believe what you want to about that. That really doesn't matter as long as we know what happened, right? Because after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, and his brother, bringeth them up high, part, high mountain apart, up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, his raiment was white as the light, and behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Moses and who? Elijah. Elijah. Talking with him. Here's Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration in a glorified state. All these folks ask me all the time, you think we'll know each other in heaven? They had never seen Moses and Elijah in their life and they knew who he was. Sure we'll know people in heaven. You might want to live on one side of heaven and them on the other, but you'll know them. Now look. Behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him and then answered Peter and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. He always says something dumb. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now what in the world he meant by that, only heaven knows. But Peter stuck his foot in his mouth actually three times in one right there. While they yet spake, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were so afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. It's been one of the most precious verses in my life in the Bible. They saw an old man say Jesus only. I'd have quit preaching if I didn't know that verse was in there. I cared only what man said. If I could only see what man sees. If I only cared what the stares of men back at me said, I'd have quit. But the Bible said they saw no man save Jesus only. When I stand to preach, I only have one person in my congregation I have to please, and his name is Jesus. Now look, and as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, why then? Now listen, why then say the scribes that Elijah must first come? And Jesus answered and said to them, Elijah truly shall first come and restore all things. How many of you believe that verse literally? Literally. I believe it literally. Which says, 
But I said to you that Elijah's come already, and that knew him not, but have done to him whosoever they listed, likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer them. And then the disciples understood that he spake to them of John the Baptist. And that's why I want to talk to you on this subject tonight, one that's greater than Elijah. Let's bow our head in prayer. Father, help us tonight. I, I, I know probably we've been rushing and uh, hurrying and scurrying from one place to the other and one home to the other and everybody trying to see everybody and get everything done, take care of everything, and people probably are a little tired. In fact, they're probably just ready to go back to work tomorrow. But God, I just pray somehow tonight you'll capture our attention as the Holy Ghost is so good at and God, that you'll bring us to excitement when we talk about how great you are. We thank you for being a great God. We thank you for being how great thou art. And God, I thank you for all the songs that's been written about how great you are. I thank you for all the sermons that's been preached about how great they are. But oh God, I'm looking for the day when everybody shall see how great thou art. And I have ask you to help me preach in Jesus' name. Amen. As God closes the pages of the Old Testament, this is what he does. He doesn't speak again for 400 years. Not another word from God. God shuts up. God has nothing to say. 400 years, God does not speak from the end of Malachi chapter 4, verse number 6, until we pick it up again in the New Testament. God just doesn't speak. And he closes the Old Testament with a particular prophet by the name of Elijah. Now, that had been a mark of speculation among believers and still is even today. Many place Elijah coming in equality to the Lord's coming or look for it sometimes even over the Lord's coming and especially among the Jewish community. You see, on Jewish Passover, they set a table and a chair and they set a cup for Elijah at their Passover table. And then they send a little child to the door to look outside to make sure that the Messiah has not come to their house so that they could bring him and set him, or Elijah had not come to their house so they could come and set him at their table. And when he doesn't come, they pray that next year might be the year that he comes and sets at their Passover feast. That's what they believe, and that's how they still practice today in the Orthodox Jewish community. But the overwhelming premise of the life of Elijah was that there was one greater than him. I mean, that's the overwhelming premise of John the Baptist, one greater than him. Now, I, I'll have to admit, there's been a day when I did not fully realize the total content of Elijah's future prophecy. But I think I do realize the priority of it and the primacy of it here that there is one greater not only than Elijah, but there's one greater than anyone. His name is Jesus. There's never any going to be any more forerunners. 
When the forerunners are gone, no more forerunners when Jesus shows up. So you say, well, why would you say that? How in the world does Elijah get mixed up? You remember in Matthew 16, he got mixed up there. Jesus said, whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? You know, and they started to say, well, some say you're Jeremiah, and some say you are Elijah. Elijah, because he's such a man of prayer, and Jesus was such a man of prayer. So he got confused. Is this prophet? Uh, or is he somebody else? Is he, Jer- is he, is he a prophet resurrected? What is God doing here? So he would get confused. But first, so, so let's just clear that up first of all. Number one, Elijah in 1 Kings 17, 1 says that his power was from the Lord. In 1 Kings 17, 5, Elijah said his path was of the Lord. In 1 Kings 17, 20, he said his plea was to the Lord. In 1 Kings 17 verses 8 and 9, his provider was the Lord. In 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 36 and 39, that's where we stood the other day and I could just sense the preaching and fire of God falling there on Mount Carmel and them killing those 850 prophets of Baal. His preaching was for the Lord because the people fell on their face and said, you are God. He's your man, and that's your book. So he clears it up pretty good, for his protection was from the Lord. 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 15, every time somebody would come to kill him, God killed them. Elijah didn't do it. He makes it clear that everything about him, his priority and his primacy, is from one greater than him. Can I get a witness tonight? It's going to be a hard sermon to preach because we, y'all saying he saved, you know, saved, saved, saved hard. So I'm, it's going to be tough. And I understand this is a little bit difficult to understand. You go out and listen to everything I say. His life, or Elijah's life, was one big demonstration of one greater than him. That's what it was about. But the disciples in Matthew 17 elevates him to the place of Jesus. They see on the Mount of Transfiguration a glorified Elijah, a glorified Moses, a glorified Jesus, and they put them all on the same plane. You ever thought about that? So the Mount of Transfiguration had some dual purposes And the first one, the Lord had to show them that the real voice and real greatness did not lay in Moses and it did not lay in Elijah, but it lay in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible said when they got up off of their faces and the vision had disappeared, they saw no man but Jesus only. Why? Because he's greater. He was greater than Moses after all Moses had done. He was greater than Elijah after all that Elijah had done. But he saw no man but Jesus. You need to get to the place to where you in your life don't care what anybody else thinks but Jesus. And when you please Jesus, you'll please everybody you need to please. So uh, if Elijah was here tonight, he'd say, see Jesus. And don't see me, see Jesus. We have so much other things to look for today. He'd say, 
see Jesus. Now, Elijah was great, yes, but he was great because he had one creator, and Elijah was and is to come because of the one who was greater than him and his own creator. Elijah was to come. Now, Jesus was greater than Elijah in several ways. Write this down. First of all, Jesus was a better preacher than Elijah. Oh, you say, why? Because when they went to arrest Jesus, the Roman soldiers came back and they said, no man speaks like this man. No, nobody talks like him. Nobody can preach like him. We've never heard a rabbi like him. We've never heard a teacher like him. And they was afraid to even lay hands on him because he was a greater preacher. Not only that, he was a greater pattern. In John chapter 8, verse 29, he said, Jesus said, For I do always those things that please him. Can you say that tonight? I wish I could, but I can't. Are you, are you that spiritual? Well, come on down here. I don't hear your testimony. I also want to talk to your wife or your husband. Are your kids or your friends or the people you work with? Amen. You see, I don't always do the things that please him. I want to do the things that please him. But I'm like Paul. I find myself wanting to do it, not doing it. That just seems to be the nature of the Christian. That old flesh just wants to live in me. What about you? And so we know this. Jesus was a better pattern because he always did those things that pleased him. And we know for a fact Elijah didn't because when Jezebel wanted to cut off his head, he went and hid like a little baby and pouted before God. So Jesus is a greater pattern. Thirdly, Jesus is a greater physician. John 9, 32, since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind, not even Elijah? You see, up to that time when Jesus had lived, not one person born blind had ever had his eyes open, and Elijah had lived before Jesus, and Elijah could not, never open one person who was born blind. So Jesus is a greater physician, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you go to Dr. Jesus over Dr. Elijah? I think we would. Now, fourthly, he was greater in power. Matthew 28, 18. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. When Elisha asked for power, Elijah said he asked a hard thing. But folks, listen, when God talks, it's never a hard thing. For nothing is too hard for God. So he is a greater power. What we have to see, what we see is almost an impossible situation. Jesus sees as a powerful situation. Well, fifthly, he had a greater personality. In Matthew 17, verses 5 and 8, as great as Moses and Elijah was, they were really not even on the level of God's son. Because he was a greater personality. Had he been the one, either one of those two been the one that God was going to send to save us from our sins, then when they opened their eyes, that's who they would have saw. But instead, when they opened their eyes, they saw Jesus. Folks, I will tell you, there's no man greater than our master. The person 
God makes great is the person that makes God great. You young preachers, you better hear me tonight. You old people, I don't care who you are, you hear me tonight. The person that God makes great is the person that makes God great. Don't hear me? God exalts you. You ought to make much of God, not much of you. You ain't got anything to offer because there's one greater. Always will be one greater. But in examination of Malachi's prophecy now, we find Elijah must truly come before Jesus does. Oh, you say, well, that's John the Baptist. No, it's not. Just what he said. Just what it said. Now, this does have a dual fulfillment since Christ has a dual coming. Now, see, in the Old Testament, when you read a passage, you might find in two verses the first coming and the second coming placed in two verses. They didn't separate the two, the coming of the Messiah. They did not see it in two comings as we now look at it and see it in two comings. That's why that the rabbis, that's why the Jewish community have such a hard time understanding the Torah is simply because they don't have a New Testament, they don't have a new covenant that clears all that stuff up for them so they stay confused all their life and try to figure out a way to figure out a way to figure out a way to get around that stuff. Y'all with me? So Jesus' first coming was in grace and mercy to seek and to save sinners. In fact, it was John the Baptist himself who said, the Lamb of God, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. I was standing down there in that old desert looking around and I looked up there toward Qumran where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found and, and I, I don't know how many miles it is but you can see it easily because it's nothing but desert between here and there and there was John the Baptist down there in the Jordan River right out in the middle of the desert 20-25 miles from Jerusalem and there he was thousands of people coming thousands of people coming he was baptizing them Roman soldiers coming and repenting and he was baptizing them and getting them saved. And I thought, what power he had. What power he must have had. But the truth of the matter is, there was one greater. There was one greater. You see, the second coming, when he comes, won't be like the first coming. The first coming, he came as a savior. The second coming, he will come in wrath. This is interesting to me, though, that in his appearing in Matthew 17, in his appearing at First Kings to where Elisha sees him taken up, and then now here, when John the Baptist baptized him, there came a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. Yeah. And when he ascended into heaven, he ascended through the cloud. Isn't it amazing that every time 
time that it's mentioned about Jesus coming or going, it's in the clouds. It's in the clouds. So, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus makes it clear in Matthew 17, verse 11 and 12, that the first part of Malachi chapter 4, the first part is realized in John the Baptist. But the second part was future. Why? Because they didn't receive the first part. John the Baptist came to, do the, to be the preparer of the Lord, right? Y'all agree? He came to be the preparer of the Lord. And he preached, by the way, politics. Oh, that'll get you in trouble. In fact, he got his head cut off. Yeah, yeah, he, 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 told, he told him it's not lawful for you to have him. If he were to go to Congress and say that, gracious goodness, they'd try to cut it in slices like bread. But he, he, he preached and he preached hard and he preached to the Romans and he preached to the Jews which hated each other and he preached to the common people and he preached to everybody and he preached the truth to everybody. And when a Roman wanted to get saved, he said, well, you go back and do right and treat people right and then I'll know you've repented. And that's the way he talked to people. Well, he talked to people. And so... Finally, one day, one walked down to the water, uh, different than he'd ever seen. You know, it's no of this, they were cousins, by the way. And yet, the Bible said they'd never seen each other. John never seen him. John didn't know him. You say, why? More than likely, Elijah lived with a group called the Essenes. Now, there was several different sects of the Essenes, uh, they were copiers of the Bible. In, in fact, they, they, were, they were so rigid about it that before they would write anything about the Scripture, they would go into a pool, wash themselves, turn around and come out, and while they were clean, they would start to write. If they made one little mistake, that had to go. They went back, rewashed themselves, and came back and started to write again. That's how all the scrolls that we found in Qumran, bunches of them, we found now pretty much the whole Old Testament right there. And everything that had happened up to 70 AD was even in there. Written, they were hidden in jars in that arid arid area they didn't fall apart it's in a museum today to where you can lay your eyes upon it and so it was amazing that john the baptist probably grew up among them they didn't talk to people they didn't fellowship with people they didn't hang out with people they didn't socialize with people they didn't do any of that thing and and so when when the, the Bible says that in the Old Testament, where did Elijah come from? He just come from nowhere. He shows up out of the wilderness. And now when John the Baptist comes on scene, what happened to him? He just shows up out of nowhere. He just comes out of the wilderness. And did you notice that they knew him because he had on camel hair garment and a belt around his loins. And, and if you go back, in the Old Testament, they knew Elijah because he had a belt around his loins. He probably had on a camel hair suit too. Now, folks, listen to me. I believe with all my heart 
that a prophet in that day was identified by the way he looked. I believe a preacher today ought to look enough like God's man that folks could figure it out without the knees cut out of his blue jeans and flip-flops on and earrings here and through his nose and wherever else he can get one stuck. Folks, let me tell you something. I don't believe God wants our preachers to act like that. When they stand in the pulpit, they ought to give God their best. And so they came out. Now, that don't sound like much to you. You wear camel's hair all day long. See how hot that gets. But he did it because he was a prophet of God. You say, well, I don't see anything wrong with not wearing a tie. Not anything wrong with wearing a tie. You don't ever have to wear a tie, but I'm going to wear one. Don't tell me not to. I may have to quit wearing it because I cannot speak. Sometimes I loosen it. I'm not, I, I'm, not, I'm not legalistic about it. I can take it and throw it off. It don't bother me. I can still stand with God. But listen, I think I ought to give God bed. When I've done it this many years, why in the world should I change now? And so here these prophets all look like prophets. Elijah had taught them well, and probably John the Baptist had come out of some kind of form of sect or part of Elijah's school of the sons of prophets. So he was not Elijah reincarnate, but he was Elijah in realization of prophecy. John chapter 1, verse 21 will tell you that. Just go there real quick. Go, 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 go there real quick, okay? Y'all hurrying? Hurrying? I know the Cracker Bear waiters are standing at the door waiting on you right now. John chapter 1, listen to what he says in verse number 21. And they ask him, what then? Art thou Elijah? And that's John the Baptist. And he says, I am not. That's pretty clear to me. Right. He was not Elijah. But Jesus had said, had they received him, he would have been Elijah. In other words, he would have done what Elijah had done. He would have prepared the way of the Lord. But they rejected him. They didn't like him. They tore him apart. So that part didn't work. So things began to change. So transfiguration makes clear that the first part is realized in John the Baptist, but the second part is future. Okay? It was not finalized in John the Baptist. They received not his message. They received not his master. He, he was like Elijah, but that's not who he was. John the Baptist formed the link between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He linked it together. The last words Jesus said, then he picks back up in Matthew 1. So, but still, his whole work is geared and centered on one thing. There's one greater than him. You see, his job was to turn men and women to Jesus, not turn men and women to John. 
You can find it in John 1.8. You can find it in John 1.27. You can find it in John 1.30. You can find it in John 1.35 through 37. And later on, uh, you can find it in John chapter 3, verse 27 through 30. He knew his job was not to bring people to himself but to send people to Jesus. And when his first converts came, when those first disciples came, he said, don't follow me, follow him. I'm not starting a John the Baptist revolution. We're starting something called a church that I don't even understand. But follow him, he does. He does. And still, the finalization of this prophecy has to come later. Y'all ready for it? All right, notice, I want you to turn your Bible to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. That's the last book in the Bible again. Revelation 11, verse number 3. says, um, God, right in the middle of the tribulation period. Look what it says. He's going to tread underfoot 40 and two months. So almost right about three and a half years. Of course, we're using, they used the Jewish calendar. So 360 days in, in a year for them. So he said, I'll give power unto my two witnesses. And they shall prophesy 1,203 score days clothed in sackcloth. That was a, the close of mourning. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of earth and if any man will hurt them fire proceedeth out of their mouth if that would have happened today we wouldn't have a Baptist church you know because every preacher got mad he'd burn about four pews at a time you know he devoured their enemies and if any man will hurt them if any man even hurts them he's got to be killed they're powerful these have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood to smite the earth with all the plagues as often as they will. Anytime they wanted to, they could cause a plague. In your town, your city, your home, your life, your country, your state, your nation, they can do it. And when they shall have finished their testimony, and I love that, Folks, you can't get through this life if you're living for God without finishing your testimony. God's going to see to it you finish your testimony. I said God's going to see to it you finish your testimony. And so when they had finished their testimony, the beast that sent out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. God takes their powers from them and their dead bodies shall lie in the great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. That's Jerusalem, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and there shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in the grave. They don't even let them bear. They keep them laying in the street so that CNN can bring their liberal broadcast over there and show those dead preachers in the, in, laying in the street about how they was deceiving people and about how mean their God is and all that kind of stuff that they're laying on people. Three and a half days they're listening to that junk. You can't keep from watching something when you know it's being televised like that. 
You'd watch it too. Don't say you wouldn't. I would. I'd want to see what was going to happen, wouldn't you? Let's keep reading. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet. I bet that got CNN's attention. Yes, sir. Man, I bet that satellite. And look, great fear fell upon them when they saw them. And look what happens. What happened on the day that Jesus was baptized? A voice from heaven. People heard. Look. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying, come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men 7,000, and the remnant were frighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. Woo! You see, Moses and Elijah on transfiguration connected the law with the prophets, and now we are connected to the covenant And right here in the middle of a tribulation period, uh, while they're laying on the street three and a half days, all of a sudden God speaks and those two dead boys rise up. And they start ascending up into heaven and everybody's knees is a-knocking and the earthquake starts rocking. That's the first rock and roll we ever had right there. Scared the daylights. You know why God did that? He said, you didn't believe in the rapture. You're just like those 42 that made fun of the old bald-headed man that was preaching the rapture. And I want to tell you, you know where those people went three and a half years ago? Same place those did. Right up through the clouds. That gets me tore up. Don't seem to bother you. Y'all, y'all okay with this now? Let's see. These prophets... Are in name or person. We do not know who they are. God does not tell us, but it's pretty, it's almost positive that one is Elijah. Why? Because the fulfillment of Malachi has to take place. He has to come back. Hey, God wasn't just literalizing, spiritualizing here. This was literal. So one of them we know was Elijah. Even right now an Orthodox Jew don't believe in Jesus knows that he's coming. So I just want you to understand that that passage can be explained very clearly. Don't try to explain it all in John the Baptist because it's not. When Jesus says something, he means it. And unless somewhere else in the Bible he gives you a spiritual reference and a spiritual identification and a spiritual explanation, then you take what he says literal. And he said he would come, and he is. Elijah's coming. And probably the same things will happen to him that happened to him. So we see one that's greater. I, 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 I've got to quit. I, I wish I didn't have to tonight, but I just want you to know that there's somebody here.
tonight that probably needs somebody greater than the ones you've been hanging out with. He's greater than the seed of the woman. He's the virgin born, you remember? That's why he's greater. The seed of the woman. He's greater than any healer that's ever been. You remember, uh, the, 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 the scripture tells us that Elisha did, even did no miracles. John the Baptist, not Don Elisha, but John the Baptist did no miracles. So he's greater than John the Baptist. Everything you find in the Bible, Jesus is greater than. Then all of a sudden, you know, you, you get over to the book of Hebrews, and the whole book of Hebrews is about Jesus being greater than everything. He's greater than death. He's greater than the devil. He's greater than the demons. He's greater than disease. He's greater than disability. He's greater than any definition. He's greater than any description. He is greater than any pattern. He's greater than any type. He's greater than any shadow. He's greater than any temple. He's greater than any tabernacle. He's greater than anything. And you say, how do you know that? Because of a resurrection. That's how I know it. And he's coming back again. But so is Elijah. So don't try to explain away something that the Bible gives you the answer to. I studied that. I struggled with that for a long time. And everybody I'd ever ask about say, well, I just mean John the Baptist. I'm just talking about John the Baptist. I'm not talking about John the Baptist. Part of it is. But the other part is talking about Elijah. He may be here now, ready to start preaching. Wouldn't that be something? If you turned on the television tomorrow and said there was a preacher in Switzerland yesterday and somebody attacked him and he breathed on them and he, they were a crispy critter. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great? Because I'd know then it's not going to be long now when I'd get ready because Jesus was about to take us up. Are you ready to go tonight?